Bible that I think is so powerful, powerfully speaks to our identity is in Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul says, when I think of all of God's plan, when I think of what God's done, when I think of His glory, I fall to my knees and I pray to God the Father. And it's cool that we have a Father, but as Dougal's already said, it's, it's very important that we identify with the Father. And I think sometimes in our Christianity, we think of God the Father. We really need to spell that with like a capital F and a capital A and a capital T and a capital H and a capital E and a capital R to get an idea. Because we're fathers or we have fathers that are like God. God isn't a father like we are. So he's the father. He's the original originator. And even in that, that verse in Ephesians 3, it says, I pray to God, the father, from whom the whole family, which is a cool thought, isn't it? The whole family on, in heaven and on earth derives its name. I just think it's a pretty cool verse when you think about it, that we pray to the father. He's not like, just he's not just like dad god he is the bible says also abba father he's our daddy god but he's he's as well as that he's the father not just like you know you know i've got three kids four kids whatever good effort do you know what i mean i met a guy at man up from the lower hut church dad 23 kids the father right 23 kids this guy has 365 nieces and nephews. Doesn't buy them birthday presents. When they did a family gathering in the old love, when before the lower hut town hall was torn down, they had the town hall, the horticultural hall, and a marquee outside, ran out of space. That's crazy, isn't it? But when we think about God, the Father, it says that the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. He's the originator. God's this originator, the original originator, God the Father. Do you know how big is heaven and earth? Now, I don't know exactly how big heaven and earth is. There's more scientific people in the room than me. But I have done a little bit of research slash Googling uh, on, on the idea of how big is the universe. Well, Because the universe is very big. You know, So earth, we know, is just a small part of our solar system, and the sun is a medium-sized star in our galaxy, the Milky Way. But within our galaxy, the Milky Way, there are 400 billion stars. So our Earth is a small part of a family solar system, which is a small part of a family 400 billion stars in the Milky Way, which is pretty awesome, isn't it? Uh, that's why I Googled it rather than I was going to just count... But I thought Googling would be quicker. But the, the interesting thing is that there's, there's not just the one galaxy in the Milky Way. There's actually more galaxies than that. You can guess how many galaxies you want, but I'm going to tell you, there's four about, round about 400 billion galaxies. So I obviously rounded these numbers to the nearest 100 billion, right? So there's 400 billion stars in our galaxy, which is a medium-sized to small galaxy. And there's 400 billion of those. So when we pray to God the Father, from whom everything in heaven and earth derives its name, we're praying to a big, big God. We're praying to a powerful God. We're praying to a God who can make things happen, right? 
Come on, when we're praying for a job, we're not praying, you're not asking your mate to see if he can hook you up with his cousin who runs a building company. We are praying to God the Father who originally, he can make things happen. God can invent a company tomorrow that needs you. He can make things happen. He speaks things into being. He's also our Father God. Both of those things, you have to hold them. He's a close God who loves us and He loves us more than we know. And He's a God who's big and powerful and, and, and originates masses. And that's bigger than no. Sometimes I think we take those two extremes and we, come, we water them both down and we have a nice little lukewarm sort of God, God, Daddy God thing. He's a nicest guy, and he's quite powerful. Now, he's a God who loves us intimately and more than we could know, and he's a God of all power in a way that we could never know as well. I want to read you a bit of the Bible about um, probably uh, a, a dad moment. How, how many people have dad moments from time to time? Uh, we had one. <laughs> yeah, most of the time is a dad moment. Uh, if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, there's this cool story. And to give you the historical context, I don't, I don't want to read the whole chapter. To give you the historical context is that the king of Israel's name had been, it was Saul. And Saul had displeased God uh, by, really by, uh, through his own insecurity, he had positioned himself and uh, dishonored God. And so God removed the anointing from Saul and was looking for a new king. So he sends the prophet Samuel to the town of Bethlehem to anoint one of Jesse's sons. So Jesse's a prominent person in the town. He's got a number of sons and Samuel goes there to meet the family and to anoint one of the sons. So we'll just read the story from, uh, from verse, verse six. It says, when Samuel arrived, he took one look at Eliab. Now Eliab is Jesse's oldest son. And he thought to himself, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't make decisions the way you do. Don't, what the way you do, exclamation mark, it's not a T, the way you do. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at a person's thoughts and intentions. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shema, but Samuel said, neither is this one the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Oh, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was ruddy and handsome with pleasant eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the olive oil he had brought and poured it on David's head. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day on. Then Samuel returned to, to Ramah. Pretty cool story. Jump across if you've got, if you've got a Bible. Jump to Romans chapter 8. Acts, Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. First one there, so you say, yeah, I'm the winner. Uh, very cool. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verse 19. Oh, let's read verse 18. It says this. Uh, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he, revealed to, he will give us later. 
For all of creation is waiting eagerly or suffering and waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Uh, Other translations, the older translation says, the whole world has been subjected to futility, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I pray this morning, just in these next few minutes, Holy Spirit, that You'd speak to us. Lord, I pray specifically for those who feel distant from you, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that as we think about these scriptures, we think about who you are, God, the Father. Lord, I pray that you'd reveal to us, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, your love for us and your plan and your purposes for us. The first thing I want to say is this, is number one, that you are not forgotten by the Father. You're not forgotten by the Father. Uh, the story of David being anointed is just one of the funny ones in the Bible, isn't it? It's one of the funny stories in the Bible that, that a father would present all of his sons to the prophet except one. Like he'd, he'd present, yes, here are my sons. Uh, oh, and then there's another one. I don't know how often you've ever felt like the other one. Uh, And I think sometimes in life, even though we're not that other one, even though we're not maybe left out, we sometimes have this general sort of feeling of misplacement, displacement, this sort of feeling of being left out. Um, I don't know about you. I went to primary school. I went like when I was five, when I finished when I was about 12, and then I went to another thing, right? I can only remember the names of one of my school teacher, Miss Gibbs. Standard, uh, year, year uh, Form 1. Oh, no, I remember my first school teacher, Mrs. Rawson. When I was five, I can remember we used to sing uh, Morning Has Broken and the National Anthem in the morning before school started, except we were in Australia, so we sang the Australian National Anthem. Yeah, I know, it's difficult. I'm still working through the issues. But all through primary schools, I was just, I, really, I was just wandering around. I remember wandering down down corridors with bags and that, that funny smell of old lunch and urine that dominates. You know that school hallway feeling? If I walk into a school now and there's that, you know, the urine and, and, and stale sandwich smell, you know, you just walk in there and it's just, it takes me straight back to this feeling of I don't know where I am, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, I don't know anybody's name, I don't know who's in charge here, right? I don't know, if, you know, I quickly figured out that I was in charge, right? But even in the kids' school, I went, this kids out, the school our kids go to, I went there for three years when I was in, in primary school, and there was this part there, there's, there was a building there that got knocked down. It might have been a toilet block. They knocked it down, and in classic New Zealand fashion, they left the middle wall there because kids could kick balls on it, you know? And they left just a wall in the middle of a playground area, and we used to play soccer squash against that wall. But then that wall was also used as the line-up wall before we were picking teams for a game. And the wall's not there anymore. But I walk past where it used to be, and I feel that feeling of, I get picked last. And see, I, yeah, poor Jordan. Now, now we understand why he's weird, right? <laughs> but I think, I think more people than just me have this vague sense of, oh, what, where do I actually fit? And I'm sure that David felt that same feeling. I'm sure David heard about the big party. There was this big party in town, right? How do we know they were sacrificing a whole cattle beast, right? How many people know that's going to take a lot of eating, right? That's a big party. Everyone's at the party, and David is in the fields looking after the sheep. He's got this left out feeling. And I want to say that you're not left out. 
God sees you just exactly the same way God saw David. God saw the intentions, the thoughts of his heart. God saw right into who he was and where he was, and God was able to locate him. Have you ever left anyone behind? Uh, We did it last night at Man Up. We just about did it. We just about did it. Wakash, I don't know. I made the executive decision to put Wakash in charge of organising the transport plan. And, um, and he got it almost perfect. He got it almost perfect. And he said to, he says to, to Mike Dave, yeah, you can go. We don't need it. You don't need to take anyone with you. Mike drives off. And then we're like, uh, let's count again. Oh, one too many people, right? And so I won't tell you that what we did is just squeezed extra people in one car and drove back. Um, yeah, yeah, it's bad. Jump with me in the Bible to Luke. Um, <laughs> don't laugh at me, Jono. You should have, Jono was sick. Everything, everything got just chaos because Jono wasn't there. Actually, what happened was Alistair had to go to an uh, engagement party and that's where the organization disappeared. Alistair and Emily left, yeah. And the world started spinning and slightly out of kilter. Uh, me, and, me and Wakash tried to hold it together, but we were outside of our gift area. I tell you what, though, Wakash just ran the band and stuff at Shout. Patsy was leading, Wakash was running the band and stuff. Guys from Wanganui Master, and he just was amazing. You know, Isaac was playing the drums right through there. It was just amazing. I was talking to Mike actually, and we, Mike and I were talking, and we we're like, oh, because Mike and I played. We have been playing music in church forever, and we were like, nah, I don't think we'd make the team now. <laughs> the whole idea of music in church is a different thing now. You know, it's like, yeah, no, it's actually music now. It's not just Musical instruments, people holding them in church. Now it's actual people playing music. It's a different scenario. I'm trying to read the Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. It says, in one of the the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. So Jesus meets this guy. He's got an advanced case of leprosy. He's, he's, uh, the thing about the leprosy is that you're outcast, right? Because of the contagion. When the man saw Jesus... He fell to the ground, face down in the dust, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you were willing, if you want to, you can make me well again. This is the verse I want you to focus in on. Jesus reached out and touched the man and says, I'm willing. Be healed. He was instantly healed. The leprosy disappeared. I I think that, communicates a reality of who God is that's really important for us to get. The man with leprosy has not shaken anyone's hand since he got the disease. He hasn't been able to embrace his children or his family since he receives this disease. Since he's received this disease, he's been ostracized living in a separate village, not allowed to pass through the normal villages, not allowed to be in a worship environment, not allowed to be in a celebration environment. He hasn't attended the family weddings, birthday parties, bar mitzvahs. He hasn't been to any of that. He falls down before Jesus and Jesus gives him what he really needs. Jesus doesn't just heal him. Jesus reaches down and touches him. Here's the reality. God's not just your, God's not like a, like a, a medical doctor who fixes the problem. He is a God who loves you. He's a father who loves you. And wherever you're at this morning, I pray that you can understand the God of the 400 billion times 400 billion is also the God who reaches down and touches the one person who needs not just to be healed, but also be touched by the love of God. Amen. Second thing you got to understand is that you're not a disappointment to the Father. Jump to Psalm 51. 
this is fast forwarding in David's life. David gets chosen to be the king just as a young man. And then later in his life, in his middle years, he makes an hideous mistake. Well, it's not a mistake. He, he, he d- deliberately launches himself down a path that ultimately leads in him committing adultery and then arranging for the husband of the woman whom he committed adultery, arranging for him to basically be killed in battle, conspiring for murder. How many of you know that this, it's a disappointing thing? I, I believe that it wasn't God's plan, and I believe that God would be disappointed. And all of us are in the position in our relationship with God and in our relationships with all the people that are important in our world, is that at some point we mess things up. At some point we make wrong decisions based on what we think we need in the moment that impact and affect people around us. And David had done the same thing. And if you read through Psalm 51, it's David crying out to God, calling out to God for, for healing and for salvation. And I just love um, verse 17. You can read the whole thing. It's all, all awesome. But if you read the whole thing and then read verse 17, this is David sort of wrapping it up and he says this, is that the sacrifice that you want is a broken spirit. And then he says this, a broken and repentant heart, O God, you will not despise. Look with favor on us and help us rebuild Jerusalem. Then you'll be pleased with worthy sacrifices, with our whole burnt offerings and bulls, and again you'll be sat, will be sacrificed on your altar. See, if you read through the whole thing, David's confessing and approaching God and, and, and he's honest about the sin that he's committed. He, uh, 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 but he's in a position there where he says something that, I don't know, if, if, if I was just preaching it to you, you maybe, you maybe, if I was to say to you, you know, that, that, that the sacrifice God wants is a broken spirit and a, a broken and repentant heart God will never despise. God never turns his back on a broken heart, on a, on a repentant heart. If I was just here preaching it, you could sort of think, oh, well, yeah, that's fine for you to say, Jordan. But because I don't know all your secrets, right? And I praise God, I don't know all your secrets, right? All right? Because we all have our own stuff we have to deal with, but I don't know all your secrets. And so because I don't know your secrets, when I stand up here and I say, you know, a, if I was to say, you know, a repentant heart, God will never despise. Now, that doesn't mean much to you either because you don't know my secrets. You don't know that I actually know this. It's not, this is not just the Bible to me and it's not just the Bible to you. I've found it to be true that a broken and repentant heart God doesn't despise. It's not something I've read in the Bible. And when we read it in the Bible, it wasn't something David was just thinking about hypothetically. David wasn't in Bible school thinking about God's love. He was someone who was experiencing God's forgiveness in the moments that he's writing this. Later, later on, in, 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 let's not go later on, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. We've already been in Romans chapter 8. I should have told you to put a bookmark there. How many people know that the Apostle Paul is in the Bible? The Apostle Paul is in the Bible, and uh, um, generally he was started off as the ultimate bad guy, became the ultimate good guy in the Bible, right? That's probably a con- condensation, uh, unjustifiable condensing of his life story, right? In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, so this is the guy who's, who, who murders Stephen. This is the guy who meets Jesus on his way to arrest Christians. 
And this is what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, now there's no condemnation. Now, when you read Romans right through verse 5, 6, and 7, he's talking about his theories of salvation. He's talking about how the gospel works. He's talking about the redemption and justification from sin, right? And then Romans 8, he says, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin and death, right? That's the New Living Translation of it. But if you read into the original and you read the New King James Translation, and if you notice the New Living Translation has got an asterisk by the word you. Because what he actually wrote was, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who live according to the power of the Holy Spirit, who, who live, walk every day in the Spirit's power. And then verse, chapter, verse 2 of chapter 8 says this, for the, light, uh, for the Spirit of life has set me free. When Paul's writing Romans chapter 8, he's not writing a theological book He's writing a letter to Christians. And when he says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, because God set me free, he's not talking about a theory. I want to, so I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm not talking about a theory either. I know that God that is not disappointed with you. He's not, you're not a failure to him. He sees you and he chose you. Before the beginning of the world, we've already learned it this month, God saw you, God loved you, God chose you. He's not disappointed in you. Your repentant heart is all that's required for God to draw you again and anoint you again for his purposes, just like David, just like Paul. I had a friend um, who bought a larder in the, uh, in the mid-1990s. Anyone else have a larder in the mid-1990s? Yeah, awesome. And my friend bought it, and he made this statement about it. Uh, he said, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. As long as you're prepared to readjust and refix every part of the assembly of the vehicle. Now, he was a motor mechanic. So for him, a larder was a reasonable choice. Because he bought the ladder and then sort of reassembled it now correctly, correctly tightening all bolts and things like that so that wheels didn't fall off and things didn't explode, right? Uh, if, if Peter Thompson buys a car, he can buy a car with a little bit more confidence than I can. Because Pete Thompson can buy a car and if something goes wrong, Pete Thompson can fix it. If I buy a car and something goes wrong, I'll stand on the side of the road going like that until Pete Thompson gets there, right? No, I really, my car broke down a few, a few months ago. My car broke down. I was driving out to Corey. Car broke down, pulled over on the side of Chater Street, got out of the car, waited for Chris to pick me up. No, oh, I'm busy. Went to, to some rugby thing with Elliot. And then the next day, I said, Flip, can you drop me the, uh, drop me, I've got to ring and get the AA. I'll meet you there. And, and uh, I, got, I, don't know, I don't know what's happened to the car. You know, dodgy gearbox. I was making up some sort of theory. And my 13-year-old daughter says this. You haven't run out of petrol, have you, Dad? And I said to Christine, oh, the light has been on for a couple of days. <laughs> Maybe just drop me at the petrol station with a lawnmower petrol. And do you know what? We were away laughing after that. But here's the deal. Do you know what? I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're not messed up. 
I'm not saying that there's not something wrong in the diff of your life, in the gearbox of your life. I'm not saying that you don't need to be completely rebuilt. I'm just saying that God can do all that and He's not panicking. You're a good deal for God because He can fix all of your issues. I'm not saying you don't have issues, but I'm saying He can fix them. I'm saying He actually understands what they are. He can drive you around the block and know what needs working on and what to do first. We just got to come to Him, repent and allow Him to work in our our world. Amen. Uh, the other thing you need to understand is this, is that, that you're the son of something. You can't just go around with the first name. It's just stupid. Primary school is difficult enough. It is. I, I worked at a job. There was a lot of Peters that worked at our same job. There were five Peters in our, in our office, Right? There were two Peter Aitkens, A-I-T-K-E-N. Why? Why have anyone with a surname? That's weird, right? He's my cousin, Peter Aitken, anyway. And there was another, there was another Aitken there, no relation, Peter Aitken as well. I think lots of Christians, we get about the place, we've got our first name, and then we, we just we use a different surname depending on the circumstances. So if I'm feeling good, I'm, I'm, I'm Jordan winner. Or else I'm Jordan loser. Or I'm Jordan happy. I'm Jordan sad. Or I'm Jordan pastor. Or I'm Jordan, I don't think, I'm trying to think about other useful things I do. Uh, parent, father, thank you, yeah. Good to have in, yeah. But you're the you 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 have to draw your identity from somewhere. You have to draw your identity from somewhere. You 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 can't just live in your first name, and just constantly add a little, just add a different sort of costume in different environments. You know. So I'm Jordan at work, and I'm I now I now I'm Jordan at home, and now I'm Super Jordan fixing the broken car. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't just. You can't keep that up. It's a bit of a charade, a bit of a charade. Actually, what you need to do is understand that we worship God, the Father from whom everything in heaven and earth, the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. He's our Father. He's the source of our identity. You're, you don't just get DNA from God. We get a name. We get nature. Your name and nature is the same thing in Hebrew concepts. When we derive our name from God, we've got to understand, I don't need to be Jordan Smith, descended from a mixture of Maoris and Irish people and Southland Scottish people. That's a confusing thing to be. I can be Jordan, the son of God. I can be who God's called me to be. I've got to live out in the context of New Zealand, but my nature and my identity don't have to come just from my earthly existence, my earthly sphere. What about David? Would he kill Goliath on the basis of how his earthly father treated him? Or did he kill Goliath? Did he have faith to kill Goliath on the basis of his earthly father's parenting of him or the nature that he received as an anointing from God. I would hazard a guess there was a reason David wasn't there. I don't think David was forgotten by the father exactly. I think he was forgotten. Like some of your friends, oh, we went to this great thing. Oh, I forgot to ring you. 
David was forgotten. Some scholars suggest that maybe David needed to be forgotten when the prophet came calling, counting out the sons. Do you notice that David looked different? He was ruddy. The others weren't ruddy. He had different colored skin. He had distinctive eyes. Some scholars suggest that David was the illegitimate last son of Jesse. We don't know if that's true, but we know that it could be true because we know how families work. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know Moses, you know. I don't know him well, never chatted with Moses. Did Moses lead the children of Israel out of Egypt based on the confidence he had as the sort of prince of Egypt, the kid who got pulled out of the river and no one knew really where he came from? Was it that confidence? Well, because that confidence is what made him angry. He killed the guard and then he fled into the wilderness. Or was it the confidence he got from the meeting with God at the burning bush? Uh, did Joseph did Joseph lead Egypt then as the prime minister, saving a whole nation, saving the people of Israel themselves from famine? Did he do that on the basis of the identity he drew from the fact that I'm Joseph? I'm the, I'm the brother that all the other brothers tried to kill but couldn't do it. I'm just lucky that they only sold me as a slave. You know, behind the curtain of your life, God's at work. Most of what we see when we see you is just like the red curtain down. Have you ever been to a really cool play where they put the curtain up and down a few times during the play? It's the best feeling ever, waiting for the curtain to come up. And that's what the world's waiting for on you. Actually, yep, you've, the curtain's down most of the time. But God's working in the background. Whereas Moses was out in the desert. Joseph was in prison. That's a good curtain down type space. Where was David? Was out in the fields, slinging stones. And later on, he was hiding in caves. But in those spaces, those hidden places of your heart, if you can allow God to work, then he can reveal you as his child. He can change our nature. And then like the, like the Scripture says, the whole world is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Who are the true children of God? Do you feel sometimes hidden? Well, sometimes it's because God's at work. Do you feel sometimes like, well, nothing's really happening. It's all a bit dark. Often those are the spaces that God's at work. Read through the Scripture. God did work and He did a lot of work in caves. He did work on Elijah in a cave. He did work on David in a cave. Something pretty special happened for Lazarus and Jesus in a cave. How bad does it have to get before God can't turn things around? Well, ask Lazarus. He was in a tomb and God calls him back to life. That's the revelation of the true sons of God. And, and this morning, the, the, those are my three ideas. You've got to understand that God's not forgotten you. He's not disappointed with you. And He's working in your life. Ephesians 3.20, God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything we'd ask, think, or imagine, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, hopes, dreams, or desires, according to His power at work within us. If we can just let God keep working in us, if we can give ourselves a break and give each other a break, 
Instead of being the crowd sitting there saying, we want more. Why are we? Is that your song to God sometimes? Because uh, you're not perfect. But at some point, God's going to raise the curtain and He's going to use the drama of your life to impact the world in a powerful, powerful way. The revelation of the children of God. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. Thanks, Ali. Just as Alice is playing, I, I want to pray this morning. And I, I really believe that what I've spoken this morning is a word of God for our hearts. Something that can transform us. But before we sort of pray generally about what I preach, I'd love to pray specifically this morning for people who don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've never acknowledged God as your Savior. You've never invited or never asked Jesus to forgive you. Maybe you've never invited God to be a part of your life. If, if that's you, in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand and then we'll pray. We like to create this opportunity as many times as we think about it in church. And just give people the chance to acknowledge Jesus almost formally and say, yeah, that's me. I want to acknowledge Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior, asking Him to forgive me, inviting God to be part of my life. While everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if that's you, just give me a quick wave and say, yeah, I'd like to pray that prayer this morning. I'm not going to get you out of your seat. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But if that's you, give me a wave, and then we're going to pray in about 10 seconds. Cool. I haven't seen anyone's hand. If you are, going to, if you are wanting to respond, just catch my eye. Give me a wave and say, yeah, that's me. I want to pray that prayer this morning, acknowledging Jesus. That's awesome. Perhaps you're here and you feel forgotten by God. I'd love to pray. I'd love to pray for you. Perhaps you feel like you've disappointed God. Or, or you're just sort of a general disappointment to yourself. I, I'd love to pray and, and for the Holy Spirit to shift that thinking in your heart. Perhaps you're here and you just you don't really know where you come from, but you'd love for the fact to be true, that God to be working in your world, transforming your nature, transforming who you are. Just where you're sitting, maybe just respond to God in your heart. Maybe open your hands and, and, or lift your hands if you'd like to. I'm going to pray, but just respond somewhere in your life and say, yeah, I need God to move in my world. And I just believe even as we pray, the Holy Spirit's going to locate some people who are out looking after sheep in the back paddock. God's going to bring you into a space and begin to really anoint you for more. Anoint you for the next season, perhaps, for some of us. It's about the next season. I believe even God wants to shift thinking where you start to transform what you think is possible. Come on, just respond where you're sitting. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, right now we just open our hearts to you, Lord. We thank you, God. I thank you, God. And I declare it over, over us as a congregation of your people. Lord, we know that you are our Father, that you love us. Lord God, that you don't leave us behind, you don't forget us, but you call us out. Lord God, you recognize in us what no one else can see. You anoint us for the call that you have for us. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that as we come before you each Sunday in our quiet spaces with our with a repentant heart, Lord, with a Lord, with an honest heart before you. God, I thank you that you accept us and you draw us. And Lord God, we thank you that you're working in our behalf. And Lord, we pray for the revelation of God to impact our city, that our city would see your true children, that our workmates would see the Son of God alive in us, that see your glory rest upon us. Lord God, that we'd see your name made famous, your kingdom come, we'd see your life extended in our city. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.